Welcome to Game Store Profits, where we talk about God, gaming, and groups. I'm your host, Daniel Fisher. Along with me, I have the official snake oil salesman of Inroads Ministries, Mike Perna. Mike, how you doing today? Look, the snake oil that I sell is not actual snake oil. It's synthetic snake oil, and it does wonders to cure all manner of ailments. Mike doesn't sell snake oil. Um, I am currently going through the board game library at my house, and one of the games that is sitting right in front of me is snake oil. Okay, can and, I tell you? Can I tell you? Yeah. Snake oil is one of those games that I have put in front of a vast array of different audiences, different sizes of groups, different makeups of groups. I have played Snake Oil at 3 in the morning doing a 24-hour Extra Life fundraiser. I'm going to tell you, that game is universally awesome. Okay, well, that's cool. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. If there's anything that would upset me about Snake Oil, it's the fact that after Snake Oil happened, another game came out. That other game is called But Wait, There's More. And it's exactly what Snake Oil is. For those of you who might be listening who have never heard of Snake Oil before, because it's a fairly older game, so it's possible it went under your radar. You have a hand of cards, and each card you have just has a word on it. It's either like a thing, or a description, or whatever. There's one word. The person who is the judge, because it's an apples-to-apples style game, the person who is the judge pulls a card that says what type of person they are. So, like, what type of person the rest of the people will be selling to? Like, truck driver, or teacher, or lifeguard, or any number of ridiculous things. They, get, they even get crazy to things like vampires and stuff. Like, like, just the type of person you're selling to. You then have to come up with a sales pitch for your product that is composed of two cards with those one words on there. Uh, one of my favorite ones that I remember in a game, it's the one that always stuck with me, and I don't know why but it was selling to a trucker and one of the kids that I was, I was playing with said that he, he just wanted to get flag music because every trucker needs flag music. <laughs> and he, and he just kind of paused and he goes, come on, we all know what kind of music I'm talking about. The whole table just dies laughing. <laughs> oh. But uh, the only thing that upsets me about snake oil is, is that uh, I wish I had had known about a game that came kind of right on the heels of it called but wait there's more because it takes that idea of the sales pitch and then you are selling it and all of a sudden somebody will say but wait there's more and flip over a card with another thing that this thing does and it's completely random it might not have anything to do with it and then you have to on the fly pitch how your thing that you've just been selling also does that other thing. I kind of want this game now. If I find a copy of But Wait, There's More, it will be mine. I will gladly pass my copy of Snake Oil to somebody else because that idea... I'm, I'm half tempted just to make a But Wait, There's More style deck of my own just to add it to my copy of Snake Oil. <laughs> I, now I'm on the internet. I'm going to find it. We're, gonna, we're hunting it down in real time, ladies and gentlemen. I don't even know. I don't even know if it's when the last time it was in print. It is. It it's not old as in the actual degrees of old, but as far as game production, I think it is on the fairly older side. I think it's in print and play. Well, we all know where Daniel's going after the podcast. <laughs> Upstairs to my printer. <laughs> yeah, it's print and play now. Well, no, this may be. Oh, this was the trial version. Ah. But that's cool. Anyway, I might get it and make my family play it. There we and, go. And, and but and then I'll want to buy it. But but wait, there's more. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no, Snake Oil. Snake Oil is a great game. And and Daniel, you're surrounded by games because you are still in the process of getting ready for Gary. Oh gosh, yeah. Um, I went. I've got. So it's kind of hard right now. I need to buy another type of Rubbermaid container. Because I one of my Rubbermaid containers ended up being for camping stuff for a while there, um, and I don't want to empty out all kinds of stuff out of it. Understandable. And it was it was the games I had on the shelf and things. But I've been going through the games, make sure everything's there, um, putting rubber bands on so they don't flop apart. 
and stuff while we're driving up there. Ah, uh, the glamorous side to convention <laughs> ministry. Yeah, it's just it. I I get through like a box of games, like uh uh one of these Rubbermaid containers, and I'm just like, I I, I want to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I go through and I was like, man, why haven't I played this game? Why? I mean, some of these games have been donated. So, like, uh, Gary Khan has donated some of them. Um, I get games from people. Um, one of my friends had a friend who passed away and gave me a lot of Euro games. Like, nice. the old school Euro games and stuff like that. I mean, stuff that he had printed the instructions out in English and put in the box. Be- because back in the day, you had to <clears throat> buy them from Germany and then bring yep. them over. And so, like, we've got a lot of those. But, see, that's the cool part about taking those games to GaryCon. Those were the types of games that Gary Gygax was into. Right. Yeah, the Rio Grande games and stuff like that. And that's what him and his family play. And when they donated a bunch of stuff the first year, they they really walked up to me with a box of games and said, here, this is our current library. It's yours now. I'm like, (laughs) okay. And it was all, like, Puerto Rico. <laughs> nice. But yeah, I'm getting ready for that. I just got the miniatures in for the the paint and take uh, this week. And I've got to go in and make sure there's no mold lines. Then I've got to wash them. And then I've got to glue them together. And then primer them and bagging them up with the people's card that donated them. It was donated by Effin Cool Miniatures. Okay. Um, the guy who makes it is John Popsky and... Um, He's always he's usually the guy that does the miniature for Gary Con every year, right? And it was really cool that he, you know, um, did it. Normally, Ironwind Metals uh, does it. Um, they usually just they they have the old Ralph Partha molds from the original Ralph Partha miniatures. So okay, the, I know what you're talking about. Okay, you know what but, I'm talking about. But we are on a podcast. Okay, so where not everybody knows what you're talking about. So when when I think Ralph Partha actually predates Dungeons and Dragons because I think they made miniatures for wargaming as well. So I, I believe Parth- I believe so. I'm going I, at least I believe so to the point where I'm just going to bank on it and not worry yeah. about looking it up. So Ralph Partha was a company out of Europe that um, made miniatures out of lead initially and switched over to pewter. If you played back in the day. More than likely, if you didn't have the official Dungeons and Dragons miniature set, you were playing with Ralph Partha miniatures. Iron Winds ended up buying all their molds from them and still make models from the original molds and things. And I still have a, a huge bag full of miniatures from them because uh, they, they just send me like, "Oh, here's two pounds of miniatures." Okay, so I always have extra miniatures if people finish the main miniature that we have that year, then they can grab another one and paint it and do whatever they want. So, but, um, yeah, I've got to go through So, John is using this new technology, and it's really crazy. It just came out this past year, and I knew he would probably switch to it because he's a smaller production group. And um, so, they can literally make a mold of a miniature in an afternoon. Wow. And, and then inject it with plastic, be running miniatures for it. And it's, it's a really faster process. The plastic is a lot better. Um, you painted Reaper minis, and you know how horrible that Bones material is. Yeah, Even, it's not great. You no, know, and the new Bones Black um, is a new type of plastic, and this is the same stuff that they're making these other miniatures out of now. So, um, but yeah, the and the Reaper miniatures are so rubbery, and I just, I mean, I I used to paint their metal ones. I love them to death, but they're I still paint the rubbery ones because I need monsters, and I got a huge box of unpainted miniatures upstairs see i gotta tell you as as much as i'm into mini painting now i i still have zero desire to run a full-on heavy miniatures role-playing game mostly because of the fact that i don't want to have to buy like 18 monsters (laughs) well i've got a way around that and one of my games we have a bucket and if you have a drink that has a lid on it, a metal lid, you know, like the little pop-top lid set for glass bottles, like soda bottles and stuff like that. And um, I bought a one-inch hole punch to punch out one-inch uh, chits, is the best way to put it. And so I'm taking old magic cards 
and um, the ones that are not worth anything, right. and punching out a bunch of goblins, and I'm gluing them in these bottle caps, and then pouring a little bit of resin on top of them. So now I have like maybe 20 goblins, but they're all these bottle caps. Right. And so um, they, uh, you know, it's an easier way to get a bunch of easier to travel models because you don't want to carry models around, especially the harder plastic ones because they have a tendency to chip and stuff. And especially you don't want to carry metal ones around. Um, You... When you get into the point of like wargaming and things, um, and you, I don't know if you'll ever get there, but the my my wallet and the sheer the, the fact that my wife is already like upset with the amount of space my gaming takes up says wargaming is probably never going to be on the table. <laughs> you know that is a universal trait of wives. I found out, <laughs> um, but except the, the ones who are also playing. But you play guild ball. Right. I have I I do have a couple I I I will say that our friend and uh, other nerdy ministry space person, my goodness, man, Stephen Stephen and I will talk about Guild Ball to death about how much we love that game and how Steamforge Games did that game dirty, yeah, and how upset we are of the fact that it it just kind of just fell off the side of the uh, well, just terrible. You're just going to have to switch the Blood Bowl. So, I mean, that's my game. No, okay, look, 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 look. I would love to play Blood Bowl. I have the digital version, one and two. I'm of waiting Blood for Bowl. three, but it looks horrible. I, I love Blood Bowl. The problem is, Blood Bowl comes with a Games Workshop level monetary output. And I just can't do that. <laughs> well, and and again, this is when we get into three D printing. There's people out there that are designing teams and stuff like that, and and you can buy their teams pretty cheap. Um, also, Impact Ventures still sells. And I'm not trying to sell anybody on anybody's company or anything like that. But Impact Ventures, they were the ones that kept Blood Bowl alive when Blood Bowl was not surviving. Right. There, Tom Anders was the guy who. Kept the living rule book going. He used to work for Games Workshop. He lives in Indiana, and he makes he makes the dice for Dungeon Crawl Classics. But he, uh, yeah, he kept it going. And when they started doing the video games, they were bringing him into the game place to where he could consult with the rules and things like that. Now they did him dirty when Blood Bowl came back out because he had still been making miniatures for a long time. And he had custom pe- people doing custom teams and things like that, like Scotlings and stuff like that, mm-hmm. little bitty halflings there. But, um, but yeah, he got done a little dirty by Games Workshop with all that stuff. He didn't call it Blood Bowl miniatures; he called it Elf Ball. Right. But if you if you sent it, if you knew knew him, you could be like, "Hey, Tom, I need a Blood Bowl set." And mm-hmm. he's like, "Well, do you want me to shit?" It, it was seriously like, "I'll be at Gen Con. I need a set." He's like, "I got you." And mm-hmm. then. Uh, I show up. It's like here's a hundred dollars. He's like, well, here's here's a giant Ziploc bag. <laughs> and straight up, it had all the dice I needed in it, a felt mat to play, right? Um, but it's in twenty eight millimeter. Mm-hmm. But the rules are still the same. You just have to use a twenty eight millimeter gauge for right. it. Twenty eight millimeter had all the cards you needed for it. Had two teams, and it's like a hundred bucks. And it was, like, the greatest thing ever. Like, I'm so nerdy about Blood Bowl. I have a set of aircraft-grade aluminum precision dice to play Blood Bowl with. There you go. So, and too many teams. I got two teams I got to paint right now. And I know one of them's going to be the Dallas Cowboys theme. See, see, that's the thing. Because Guild Ball is, it just fell off the map, I don't know if I'll, even with the, the fact that I do painting now, I don't think I'll ever paint those because... Each team is like a different color plastic, so that you'd be able to on the field know yeah. who who's on what team. So it's gonna get played so rarely that I kind of like that because I'm probably gonna be teaching somebody who's never played before. Yeah. So and you got the plastic ones. I did. So because I couldn't so, afford eighty dollars for a team. Well, the so uh, my first experience with Guild Ball was straight up. Dang, Drew was like, can you paint my guild ball teams? And sent me two guild ball teams to paint, the hunters and the brewers. 
The and hunters I, are so cool. Oh gosh, I painted that stinking bear so cool. Like I painted it like a grizzly. Mm-hmm. And he said, "No, I want it to look like a polar bear." Oh man, I had to find a picture of it, and we'll post it along with the the podcast. But I loved it. But I got so mad because I had it like a grizzly. And he said, "No, I want a polar bear." I said, "Fine." I made a little miniature coat bottle and stuck it in the snow. Did you really? Yes, and it's you can see like if, uh, you can't see it in the picture, but when he starts moving around, you can see the top of it stick out of the snow. Nice. But um. I do love those miniatures because they're beautiful. And that was the first time I ever started. But his were pewter. And so this was the first time I actually started playing around with using natural elements in uh, model building. So I had gotten a bunch of. And this is how I get my uh, items. I went on a walk. And where I was at, um, there was a lot of slate. And so I picked up a couple pieces of slate, took it home and hit it with a hammer. And broke it up, and you can use that to build bases with. There you go, and stuff like in and, and like people are like, well, I need to go to the hobby shop and get some some uh, medium grade rock so I can make it look like I got gravel. I was like, nah, I got you. If you <laughs> if you ever get a new roof or know somebody that gets a new roof, go to their house after a really hard thunderstorm. What happens is all this. Little pebbles that's in their roofing tiles, the loose stuff comes down and it comes into the rain gutters and it ends up at the bottom of the rain gutters. You get that material, take it home, wash it. The tar will float to the top that is used to hold it on there. All the rocks at the bottom, scoop the tar off the top. Then you can dry off the rock and paint it whatever color you want to. I dye it with ink and use it for ground material. So I've had, I've, we had gotten a new roof on our house, our old house, um, a few years before we moved, and I literally got probably a half a gallon of that stuff from just doing that. So nice. <laughs> that was horrible. Anyway. <laughs> and this has been this week's episode of Flocking <laughs> with Daniel Fisher. <laughs> well, you know, and going back to to carrying your your miniatures around. And uh, this is my segue, by the way. No, oh. um, so. It, it, Hey, Daniel, it's less effective when you announce that it's a segue. <laughs> well, okay. Well, actually, I, I, I kind of want to do the questions from the, the Discord now. <laughs> but no, so if you painted your guild ball models, mm-hmm. right, and you wanted to go to a friend's house and play, you're not going to just throw them in a paper bag or a Ziploc bag and carry them to your friend's house because they're going to bounce around and, um, and chip and things like that and, and get the paint messed up. So, like, of course, you would buy protective boxes of like foam and you'd stick them in there the first time i ever saw a warhammer model painted i was in 10th grade at dobbins bennett high school and this is going to tell you where our world has come from okay (laughs) i was sitting in uh it was a government class and the this guy walks in with a pistol case, a foam insert pistol case. I it even I think it had Ruger on the side of it. Right. And the first thing I said to him, I said, "Hey, what's in the case?" Gosh, I was fifteen. I, here I am, ninety three. Okay. And he cracks it open, right? And there is five Space Wolf Terminators painted. To what I would consider now, uh, well, at the time would be their their heavy metal, which was really bright colors. Really, and this is what made me fall in love with Space Wolves in 40k. When I found out what it was, that's when I started playing the game. And it, it, you know, that's what we carried our miniatures in was stuff like that. But now they have special cases because you don't want to carry a rifle case. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, and, and and so like, but yeah, like these and the, people would just have foam inserts and stuff. Like I've taken. Um, usually, I get my wife. Uh, she'll bring me home paper boxes that are used for, um, you know, the the reams of paper, and I'll build foam inserts and just put them in there for storage and stuff like that. But like, you don't want those, nobody messing with that stuff while you're painting it. Cause you want it to look nice before you put your, your clear coat on it and things. And, you know, for the longest time I was very, if you touch one of my miniatures, 
I just would snap at you. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't nice, um, especially if I was in the middle of painting it. It, it, but if you touched it way before I put the clear coat on, I, I just, one, you'd get your oily hands all over it. The paint wouldn't stick right. And it would just infuriate me. And with kids, that's that's a little harder. You can't you can't snap at your kids for that one. It's harder. When you have kids and you're trying to do this stuff with miniatures and stuff, you got to realize that, that kids, all the kids sees are toys. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and it comes to my gaming table... So I've got the top that can come out and you can put stuff in. And I've got, nobody could see it because I'm pointing at it. And Mike could see it uh, a little bit. But mm-hmm. the I've got a curio cabinet, a locked curio cabinet. And the top part is a Warhammer. And it's all my, my Space Wolves in there because, again, they're my favorite army. And then the rest of it is odds and ends, Dungeons and Dragons miniatures that I've just painted and shoved in there until I get them out of the way of the kids. But... The now I wouldn't let them play with these things, but like I let them look at them and things like that. But like I keep them away from them. They know not to mess with the curio cabinet. But I had an incident just about a week ago. There's Bible study at her house, and my youngest has a friend who's in our Bible study group. He's a year older than him, and they came down into the game area, or you know we have a family area. It's it's got a couch and a TV and a PlayStation, and of course. Anything that I don't want them to touch, when they're here, I always put it away. I put it inside the table. If it's on the table, they know they can mess with it. But if it's inside the table, they don't open the table up. And I, I, they were being really quiet during Bible study. And Which is always a sheer sign of things are going yeah, terribly wrong. And and I, the other dad, he, he could see me because I was sitting there listening. And I was paying attention to Bible study, but... Every time I hear a peep down there, I would just cock my eye over because I know something was going on down here. <clears throat> well, anyway, I come downstairs after they had left, and they gotten into my table. And I had an entire scene set up for D&D with dungeon, um, uh, dungeon tiles, 3D dungeon tiles. And like I spent like an hour setting that stuff up. And they got the miniatures out and like, that were in the table, which were just cheap D and D miniatures from the box games, like the Ravenloft and stuff like that. I ended up repurposing those games for the miniatures and the dungeon tiles. And the, um, I was just so mad. And I just looked at my son. And I was like, "What have I? You know, it, I went. I didn't yell at him. I said, "What have I always told you? Uh, don't don't mess with the table." I said, "Yeah," and you mess with the table. And he's like. Bear messed with the table, because that's his friend's name. I was like, did Bear know to get into the table? Or whose idea was it to get into it? Well, it's my idea to get in the table. I said, but why did you get in the table? You could have broke these, because these are made out of porcelain. And he's like, and, and I felt really bad about it, because my son is always so excited and wants to play with me, and wants to play games with me. I didn't yell at him, but he knew I was really upset. And, of course, as you said, all they see is toys. And so, like, I knew I wasn't being a great dad at that moment. But I had set some rules up, and they had broken them. And, you know, and I think I'm only that way, really, with my kids. Because they're around me all the time, and they <laughs> know my rules. And it's just really unhealthy but it, this also you if you had known me 20 years ago like i'm a lot more laid back than i was 20 years ago right you know it's so like i was that guy who said uh that's a collector's edition and it's staying up there wrapped in plastic and i'm never opening it because one day it's going to be worth some money and it, it was about 10 bucks but <laughs> you know i mean you know i was that guy who wouldn't open things because of that and then Something broke in me, and like, then the next day, all my spawn toys were open, <laughs> and right. I was playing with them. So you know, well, I think I think you you've touched on something really interesting when it comes to being in the gaming space, because there are people who have just you have a wide array of different reactions to the physical stuff of games when yeah. it, when you're when you're out in the community. 
Uh, there are some people who they'll they'll get everything out. They'll they'll make sure everything. If there's a special insert for it, they'll buy that insert, put that insert in, make sure everything's in its place. Some they'll like label stuff. And then you have other people who don't care at all. <laughs> it's like Ziploc bags for everybody. That's what I've gotten to at this point. Well, and then and then I'm I for me like I kind of fall in between there because. In some regards, I've, I'm like, okay, these, like, I have an appreciation for, I'll actually give you a story about some, some gaming that just happened. Uh, my son has fairly recently, like, we've played it before, but for some reason he just, he just gets on a kick with certain games. Yeah. And lately he's been on a kick of my Restoration Games Edition Fireball Island. <sighs> yeah, I need to get that one out, play with him. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. This is another one where he's he's discovered that there are expansions that Daddy doesn't own, and so he looks at me with those eyes that say say not if when Father when are we <laughs> going to get when are we going to get the expansions that give us snakes and bees and tigers? Uh, see now, didn't you get that on the Kickstarter level? Uh there were g- gracious people who got it for yeah. me. I got it for a dollar. <laughs> But anyway, oh, no, we, sorry. when I had packed it all away, like anybody who's ever packed this game realizes that this game is wonderful. This game is a good time. This game is a nightmare to pack. Yes. I don't know if it was a design choice to make the flimsy box that feels a lot like the the, the box from the original version. Like, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it's a garbage box. I don't I don't think it was uh intentional. I think it was that this is the cheapest we can get it made for. It was it was just a garbage box. And and they'll even admit it. Like Justin himself would be like, No, no, it was a garbage box. It was a bad decision on our part. A, and the bad part about packing that one up in the library, I have to pack it on top. Right. Oh, you have because to. It, if if it gets crushed, it crushes the whole island. I right. mean, it's it's that sheet plastic. So I'm I am constantly I'm constantly trying to figure out what's the best way to pack this game, and sometimes I do it better than others, and sometimes it's worse. Well, one time, like I usually have a Ziploc bag with like all the bits in it, because if you've ever played this game, every treasure, every marble, everything that makes this game does what it does. Is a tiny little thing. So I have one Ziploc bag and I just shove everything in it. Well, the focal point of the island is this big plastic weird looking head, uh, which represents Volcar, the guy, the, 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 you know, the monster spirit, whatever thing in the island. And I had Volcar in the bag that time. Now, Volcar is a weird piece of plastic designed to make marbles dance all over this board. And so it's the inside of Volcar is these weird, like, like little tubes and tunnels of plastic yep. that make the marbles go random. Well, I'm putting out all the, the treasures and stuff, which go on all these little special spots on the board, which is both, you know, awesome because it really makes it easy to find out where everything goes, but terrible because there are so stinking many of them. And so I'm doing this and I'm already like, like I'm not feeling this game, but my son wants to play and I want to play with my son. So, okay, we're putting, I'm already just cranky and not feeling it. And all of a sudden I get to, to, I'm like, there are more spots than there are treasures. (laughs) Why are there more spots than there are treasures? And I'm getting, I'm already cranky, and now I'm like, now I'm like kicking in. I'm like, like, oh my goodness, we must have played this time, and he must have dropped it or something. We're, so like, is it in like in the dustpan now? Is it in the trash can? Because these things are tiny little pieces of cardboard. I'm like, what would it cost me to get replacement bits? Uh, the only people doing replacement bits are uh, the Geek Shop on uh, Board Game Geek, and they're selling them for sixteen dollars. No, thank you. Like, I'm I'm going through all this as I'm trying to play this game. <laughs> And it turns out, by the way, uh, fear not, ladies and gentlemen, if you play with uh, me at some convention or some kind of event, uh, the treasures were stuck in Volcar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I go to pick uh, up the piece of plastic off the board and I hear rattle, rattle. I'm like, he's not supposed to rattle, rattle. Yeah. <laughs> Our minds always go to the worst place on that, though. Right. And, and like, I had... 
I in my brain I realized like in that moment I was having this dual thing. Like my wife automatically was like, "Okay, we'll just put two pennies. The heads up one is this one and the heads down one is this one." And there's there was the part of me that was like, "Well, yeah, cool. We can still play the game now, no big deal." But then the, there was the other part of me that was like, "But but it, it's not the way it's supposed to be, and there's just going to be these two pennies now for now and for always, and it's really going to bother me that they're just two pennies. And I realized that I don't think those two things go away. I think they're both there for people who play, to play games seriously. Yeah. I think both of those thoughts are always going to be there at the same time. The question becomes, which do you let win? Which which do you allow to be the overriding force in your head? It's that whole, it's a, there's two wolves inside you, whichever one you feed is the one that... I mean, that's kind of over-the-top garbage, but th- there is truth to it. There's the, the, Both those thoughts can happen, and the one that you give more weight to is going to be the... going to have impacts on the way you treat your games, the people who play them, etc., and I think I think what ends up happening sometimes if you let the stuff of the games be the overriding like 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 I cannot let my game come to ruin or harm if that becomes the overriding factor I mean one you you're never going to have fun in a game ever no not at all <laughs> and and two you've really made gaming like an idol yeah, it's like they we we put the games. It's like, and I know people like that. They'll they'll buy a game. It'll sit on their shelf, and they they will get it down, but they won't play it because they're afraid they're going to mess it up or lose a piece. And like, but it's their game. They have it, but you can't play it. And right. and you know, I've I've been that way with some games, and and I had to get rid of a game like that, and. Because I was so freaked out over the fact that I was going to hurt it. And it was a original copy of HeroQuest. There you go. And I sold it to Sean. It's like, oh, okay, give me some money, Sean. I'll take it. <laughs> and, and you know, uh, but, you know, I was like, I got an original copy of HeroQuest with everything in it. And I only paid $20 for it. And, you know, it's, and it's worth this much money. Even the original wooden wooden dice, and and you know, I mean, it becomes bragging rights, and and then when your friends are like, "Well, let's play it," and you're like, "Nah, I don't want to mess it up. the The plastic's old, the pieces will break, and stuff like that." But you know, it it's just it's not how we need to be. We need to be like we need to put the people before the the toys, and you know, if if somebody wants to play it, like a game that I love. Even though it's old, I'm going to get it out now. I mean, like, and I'll tell you this. My daughter had a game night without me last weekend. Of course, I was camping. Um, but she wanted to play Monopoly with her friends. Because she knows how much I love Monopoly. Right. Um, so she was she was like, you know, uh, Dad, Dad doesn't really like Monopoly, so I'm going to play Monopoly. It's, it's her rebellion, by the way. Um and those rebellious teenage years. And she goes and gets the oldest copy of Monopoly that I have in the house. And it's literally the copy of Monopoly that my mom bought when I was four years old. And that same copy of Clue. And I, I just keep them for nostalgic reasons. And at one point, I was just like, man, I don't want to lose any of this. Because this is the, the, the Monopoly board I played on. But I was really happy that she bypassed the brand new, still in plastic copy of Monopoly I just bought for the library <laughs> and went for the one that, you know, her grandmother played with me. Right. And, and, and stuff. And yeah, I bought a copy of Clue at the same time because I really, I mean, I don't know how much longer I can keep these games in the house as far as the Monopoly and the Clue go because, I mean, the boxes are falling apart. And oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure those, those, pieces are made out of lead (laughs) well and there's a difference between caring and being obsessed yeah i'll I'll tell you this much i care about my games i really do it it is part 
just the very pragmatic sense of things. Like, I want to be able to play them. I want to be able to bring them to places and introduce people to these games. Like, I, when we're doing ministry with them, I want to have all the bits. Like, there is that pragmatic part of it. And the other part of it is that, yeah, like, I do believe that there's some aspect of stewardship involved yeah. in you have these things. Yeah. They are yours to take care of. You don't just, you know, flippantly, like, like allow them to break or chip or whatever. You you take care of them. I'll, and we may look at this a little bit differently, and I'm not sure. We actually haven't had this discussion either. Like, with me, for example, I carry packing tape with me. Because I know at some point I'm always going to have a box that's going to bust. Oh, yeah. And so, like, I've learned not to freak out. Like over a breaking box now. Like at one point, at one point, I was literally looking up bookbinding to figure out how to glue right. cloth paper that the same cotton paper that they use uh, for a lot of higher end boxes inside the corners of the box to keep them together. And I'm like, this isn't healthy, Daniel. <laughs> this, you know, this is a bit much. Yeah, and I mean, like, and I, and, and part of it is like, you know, a lot of this stuff has been donated to me. Some of these copies mm -hmm. of these games, uh, are just like, they're, they're old. Like, you know, I'm sitting over here looking at, you know, copies of Carcassarone. <laughs> Carcassone. That oh, are probably, came back. Probably, I, I was, I was waiting on that one. Probably, probably older than my daughter. You know, yeah. I'm not, you know, in, in like in the original expansion boxes, like hunters and gatherers, I'm sitting here literally looking at it right now and I'm like, you know, I could keep the box pristine or I can have fun with it. So, right. and that's why I went with rubber bands. <laughs> and, and like, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm like anybody who cares too much about their games is, is some kind of terrible deviant who needs to be stopped and put in their right place uh i don't because trust me there is stuff that i care i care way more about than other people will care about uh i will say that i there are some times when i just kind of put my head in my hands because i'll be on board game geek or i'll see some publisher talk about a return that somebody sent them and it's like like i had to return this copy of this you know 100 game because the corner of the box was dinged and I'm like, I, I'm sorry to every publisher who has to deal with this because that's insane. I don't want to, to, to give the impression that I care nothing about this or that I care too much about this. There, there is a, a healthy spot in the middle of yeah, caring. There is. And, and it also, it doesn't just apply to the care of the games because again, where you fall on that is going to be different. Like there are people who want to string me up to the yard arm because I don't sleeve my cards in any game that I play. Me either. <laughs> there, there are some people who are like, that's ludicrous. Like I was back when I was like hardcore into Netrunner and uh, all, you know, other card games that I've played, I've never sleeved my cards. Well, I, and the only time I've actually ever sleeved cards was with magic, the gathering. And that was only because when I was teaching Andrew how to play, kid didn't know how to wash his hands, mm. <laughs> you know, and I didn't want peanut butter on. And, there you go. But that's about it. I mean, but, cause, but like every once in a while, even I forget, I'm, I'm usually the voice that tells you, Hey, remember there are people who listen to us who only just started getting into games. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about when it comes to sleeving, uh, any game that is heavily card based, there are whole companies built around little plastic sleeves designed to fit around those cards to protect them. And they're and the cards are cut in certain sizes. So I've actually seen where uh, Hero Quest was a good one. Was that when it was before it was coming out, everybody was asking about the cards and what card the the size of the cards were cut in. So they knew they would preemptively go buy all sleeves so when that game showed up at their house they would have them sleeved before anything yep and and it it's pretty obsessive like the only sleeves that i own are sleeves that people have given me i haven't ever bought any like the um 
And this guy gave me a whole bunch of sleeves at one point. And I'll tell you what I ended up doing. Actually, about two weeks ago, I needed to print out some action cards for Savage Worlds. And I literally put them in the sleeves with a magic card behind it and ran it through a laminator. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, like if, if if you're a sleever, good for you. I have absolutely, there's nothing wrong with sleeving. It is a good way to take care of cards. But the re- the reason I bring that up is because there are people who are like, how dare you not? Like, I can't even fathom that you wouldn't sleeve your cards. And I honestly look at them and go, I have games on my shelf that haven't been played yet. Yeah. There are games that I love that have been played like six times since I've owned them. That's what happens when you have games that are bigger and require more of a commitment and everything like that. The idea that I'm going to play a game enough times that the cards will get worn down while I'm playing on my dining room table. Because I'm not like playing them on a street corner somewhere like when we were kids playing the yeah. early days of Magic. Like, I'm on my dining room table. If I've played, if I've shuffled those cards so many times that the edges start to fray a little bit. I'm gonna say that game has has served its purpose and has yeah. lived a, a well a well loved life. Yeah, well, and but there's a completely opposite end of the spectrum, and it's to the point where you love a game so much that you're willing to part with it so other people could love it. And like example, I've always used uh, in this is that and. At one point in time, if you, any new person, I don't care who you were, showed up at my house and you walked into my front door, you were walking into my office because that was the throughway into the living room. And so you're going to see a wall of dice, like a wall of D&D dice. And everyone was in a Chessex little container because people would send me those containers Mm -hmm. and I would have sets that weren't Chessex in there and... I would look at them. I mean, I had people coming out, plumbers. I'd be like, what's your favorite color? And they'd be like, red. I'd be like, all right, here you go. Everybody gets a set of dice when they come to my house. And they're like, why? What, what's this for? I said, this is for Dungeons & Dragons, man. It's, everybody gets it. I love the game so much, and I collect dice, and I have so many extra dice. So I just I just want to make sure everybody has them. And, and, you know, and when I sit down at a table, especially at the comic shop, you know, and we have a kid there that's never played something before, um, and they and I loan them a set of dice, and unless that set of dice is something that is nostalgic to me, like somebody gave it to me for my birthday or something, that kid's walking out of there with that set of dice, right? And that's well, why I always. And I, I told you, something. I told you that I have got. I'm. It's. I'm currently still working through Wonderland's War. Uh, currently painting the Dormouse and his adorableness. But uh, when this is done, my next project is to paint up another copy of. Uh, Marvel United, the base game, and I don't need two copies, two copies of Marvel United, and so I'm just going to give that away. I'm going to give away the copy of the game. I have other games that I have just straight up given to people because they, you know, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. I just did a swath of donating to uh, to our local library. And I'm like, like this is I I love this game. But guess what? I know that it'll get played more. Like yeah. like some of them went to the library. I know it'll get played more there. Or some of them went to a, another friend who's starting a game collection. I'm like, I I have a game that does what this game does. Even though I love this game, I I like that other game more. And I don't need both of these. Yeah. So I could either have it so that I will always pick that other game on my shelf and this one will just sit there being, you know, nostalgic or I can give it to you and you'll play it because you don't have that other game. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of, and what the, the crazy part about going into the mechanics of it, there are a ton of games that just copy mechanics and just change everything out. And you can pretty much get, you know, a game that, with any mechanic, any theme, Monopoly's the worst for it. But the, uh, you know, it, you know, I've got Star Wars Monopoly over here that I played. And so I mean, but you get what I'm saying though. It's like, 
you know, you might like this version better just because of the artwork on it. Well, and when there's so many that are coming out, there's so many games yeah. that come out. Uh, the numbers took a little bit of a hit after, you know, with the after the pandemic and everything because everybody took a hit. But uh, you're we're in a space now where thousands of games are getting made a year. Yeah. The like there are some games that will keep being up at the top. Some games that will will all like like they're just those evergreen titles that will always be up there in like the top one hundred of Board Game Geek. Yeah. Settlers the guitar. But but guess what? Like my favorite game for a good long while has been Blood Rage. Yeah. Favorite game for a good long while. Um I've only played this game at conventions doing demos. So my copy has not been played yet. I haven't played a full game to its completion yet. But just looking and having had the, the, the surface level engagement with the game that I have and looking through the rules and seeing playthroughs and everything, I'm convinced that Wonderland's War will unseat Blood Rage, and I thought Blood Rage couldn't be touched. Wow. I'm pretty confident that Wonderland's War, if I got the, like, like a good, pe- good crew of people together to play this game, convinced it would knock it off the number one spot. And guess what? In years to come, who's to say that, that even if that is the, even if that's exactly how that comes down, guess what? Maybe that one's going to get boosted too. Because at the end of the day, people are still developing games. People are still coming up with cool new things to happen. Yeah. And as much as I love all the games that I've had, like since I started playing games, uh, I can think of in my collection, my collection right now, if you include all the little like small wallet sized button shy games and everything, if you include everything, I have something like 200. And out of those 200, the ones that, I mean, there are ones that I, I, I don't want to get rid of. <laughs> I have no desire to get rid of. Yeah. But if I had to, there is one game that I refuse to get rid of. And guess what? The reason I refuse to get rid of that one game has absolutely zero to do with the game. That is Spirit Island. I can never play Spirit Island again the rest of my life. I am not getting rid of that box. Because when my wife was in the hospital and my son was there in my arms as we were playing the first game I ever played of Spirit Island... And I mean, I literally wrote about this on our website. Uh, I may or may not link it when I post this episode, but like just that moment as I am, I am playing this spirit who's protecting the people of this Island. Who's this giant rock dude. And the whole idea is, is that, you know, his particular spirit, he is very slow, but every time he does something, he pounds them into the dirt. He's there to protect the people. And so I'm playing this game with my little baby boy in my arms. My wife is in the hospital and I couldn't do anything to help her. And I'm playing this game with some friends because they just wanted to get my mind off of the nonsense that was happening. It was like God himself said, said, this is you. This is what you're doing for your family. You are there to protect them. You are there to be strong for them. And my little baby boy is looking up at me like, dad, we got this. I don't care if I ever play Spirit Island again. I will never get rid of that box because of that. Not because Spirit Island is the best game that's ever been made or ever will be made. The It's the things we attach to these games that make games great. It's the relationships, the moments. These are what make things great. I I love playing Marvel United with my kid. And I'll tell you what, Nightcrawler is my favorite comic book, is one of my favorite comic book characters ever in existence. We were playing the game and on the table there was, there was a little bit of like dampness from a a drink that kind of condensated on the table and his card got a little wet. So there's one card that's slightly off color for the Nightcrawler, which I love that game, love playing with him. I love, I love, you know, that character and his cards a little, a little bit not great. 
I've seen people lose their minds over that. But at the end of the day, I go, I don't flipping care. You know, that wouldn't have happened if it was sleeved. If it was sleeved. I know. I'm going to get a comment. I'm going to get a comment that said your card would be fine if you sleeved it. We're going to preempt that nonsense. I understand. I'm still not sleeving my cards. (laughs) So, actually, one of my favorite uh, card games, though, is Sushi Go. You know? Oh, yeah. And, and... I, I I usually play it with our when we do bust it out. It's usually our but our small group has gotten so big now. It's no longer a small group, <clears throat> but we used to play it with them. And their son Bear, the one I was talking about earlier, he had grabbed one of the cards off. And I think this is when I it broke me. This is when I got broke. He grabbed one of the cards and bent it in half. Yep. And I just looked at him. I said, "It's okay, man. We can still play with it." And you could tell exactly what card it is. But yeah, that's when I think that for me actually got broke was the fact that this small child, like two years old, our kid still inside my wife, mm-hmm. you know, our, our, our youngest. And, and I think that's when it, it just, you know, went with me. And he's actually, this kid, I don't know what it is. I love him to death. But he could break plastic. Mm. I have these jumbo Chessex dice. And he rolled one, and it chipped. <laughs> it's like, how in the world? But nah, it's cool. But yeah, I was I, that story. I, I always go back, and I, when you tell that story about you know Spirit Island, it's just that you know it makes me think about the things that I've got with my kids and stuff. You know, I, I the ones that there is for me. You know, with Isabel. Um, her first RPG was Hackmaster, mm-hmm. and she was seven years old. And that story of where she killed our entire party—yeah, I always tell it, you know. Yep. And then you know, and Andrew, it's Dungeon Crawl Classics. That's why you know, it, and it, with me, it's always RPGs. And now with Sammy, it's that basic fantasy RPG, and mm-hmm. it's just it. I've got those with my kids as well. You know, I'm not, and that's one of the things I ever want to say. That if I can get a copy, the latest version of Hackmaster at GaryCon, because it'll be there. I'm getting Kinsler and Co. to sign it. There you go. So, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in back into GaryCon mode there. So, um, but yeah, it's just, our job is to pass this on to our kids. Not our craziness about keeping things pristine and keeping things awesome, but about enjoying people around the table. Yeah, because yeah. I I think I think that's that is really the the it's the bulk of it. Yeah, is that it needs to be that these these things help us connect with people. These yeah. things help us have great memories with people. Um, when the things become more important than the people, I mean that that it, it's an, it's an idol. Yeah. When the things take more precedent than the time you spent with your family, that's an idol. It's it's we're the first people. I think you and I are both gonna gonna fall in this camp. We're the first people to say these things are cool. Yeah, it's good. To, it's good to to give value to these things because they're awesome and they do evoke these cool moments with with people. Especially like when you, when you show somebody your Warhammer stuff, I promise you, I've seen people with very cool Warhammer paint jobs, and I know yours is too. That's a cool moment when you get to show that to somebody. Yeah. Like I, I've already even with my like like introductory like I'm only kind of okay painting miniatures skill. I've shown a couple of figures to people, and they're like, "Oh man, that's so great!" Like, yeah, like there's there's cool stuff in the stuff that we have. Um, I just recently had somebody talk about the idea of why it, it's the concept. It, it applies to the same concept with like books as it, and it would with games is even if you don't read them, if you don't play them, there is value in having them because of the fact that you see the potential in them. Yeah. And to have that potential there for when you need it. Like when you see your games as the potential to have those moments with people. I haven't thought about it that way. 
But like the, every game that I've ever bought, it's either one because it's just something that I love and I want to share it with people, or two because I've looked at it and go, I know who I want to play this with. That's cool. Every game that I've purchased has been that. Has been, I know who I want to play this with. Even if I don't have, like, a specific person in mind, I know the type of person I want. Or I know the type of people who show up at our events. I I know the type of person I want to play this with, and I'm super excited to put this in front of them and have that moment. That idea of the, the, the fact that these games carry with them the potential to have those amazing moments. But again, it's not the things. You take care of the things, the the things of games, not because you need to take care of them because they need to be perfect, but because you take care of them so that you can have more moments yeah. with these people. I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, anyway. but yeah, uh. so like like that's that's why. That that's the the framework to see this with. It's the idea of that potential on your shelf to have more moments with people, to have more good times with people. Because yeah, things chip, things break. Guess what? Super glue exists. Yeah, and you can just paint over it. You can paint over it. Guess what? It, worst case scenario with a card, you you print out the artwork and you and and you just yeah. make a proxy card. Who cares? Like. At the end of the day, all these things are just the value of these things is what they evoke from people. What we can, the moments that we can have at our tables with other people. That's what they're good for. And that's why we have shelves and shelves of them because we want to make sure that when we come up to that person or that moment, we want to have, we want to be able to reach to the shelf and grab that thing off the shelf that's going to speak to that person. Yeah, I'm just going to start making a list of people and what I think. <laughs> oh, I literally, I can, I can look at any game that I have and I might have to take a minute to think about it. But, but yeah, no, I have, I have at least, at least one, if not more, people tied to every game I own. Oh, man. Like, there is somebody I bought this for. <sighs> I don't know what to say under that. How many years have we been doing this? It always comes back to it's the people, it's not the game. I know, I know, but it's just, I just, it's like another thing just clicks. You know, it, it, it's like reading the Bible. Like you could read it one time, and then a year later read it, and it speaks to you completely different than it did the first time. You right. know, and and this makes me, and I've always wanted the community around the table, but I just never thought of the, the games like that. You know. I might have to repent. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about this? How about this? I'll, I'll, you can start on your road to repentance by, yeah. by getting us out of here. Well, actually, can I, can I do one thing? I was trying to make this a thing, and I want to make it a thing, and, and, and I wanna, I'm going to close this out, but this is going to be really quick. I'm, before every podcast, I'm going to ask a question and uh, allow people to ask questions in our Discord. And I right, want right, to answer right. two, two questions in both by TR. Um, and I'm going to, he's the way he asked them, I'm going to flip them upside down. The first one is about the suits of cards and who picks the suits of cards. And actually, that was a regional thing. Like, I, Italy had their own suits and. The suits of cards that we know today, the hearts, diamonds, spades, and clubs, was actually the French version of cards. And the um, cards, you know, we call the face cards, the, the jack, king, queen, and then we have the ace. And then the numbers are actually called pips. Um, and it's really weird to think about that, but that goes into another question that TR had is why why are dice numbers called pips? No, actually, dice the the dots called pips because the numbers are actually called something completely different. Oh my goodness! And, and so the, that that I didn't know about. So the the pips on a dice pip actually means speck or dot, and so that's why that's like that. That's why they're. they're uh, pits and when you see somebody say um, that's a lemon pit, you you all are automatically think about the P I T word. It's actually P I P. 
So that that's those were referred to as pips as well. Now, uh, on the numbers dice, those that's called indica. All right then. Yeah, so that that's not actual. Yeah, I mean it's just what they call it. So, okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, I I am gonna open that up and maybe we'll push it towards the beginning of the conversation and the next time because I really well, this, do want. This is gonna we can chalk this up to another thing of hey we're just getting back into the flow of things. Yeah. New toys have been created in the years that we took off, and oh, we yeah. want to play with the new toys. And Discord is full <laughs> of them. Oh yeah. Um, but I just want to say, um, remember, God is the game master, and no matter how the dice fall, the game plays on. <laughs>